we should just do it for luck. This is Lucky to Lead. That was so good. Okay. Just drop your best one. Welcome to Lucky to Lead. You're talking shit about me? (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Lucky Lucky to Lead. Lead. All right. We are back, David. Um, Officially episode three. It's crazy. Feeling good. I'm excited. We have a great guest on today. Yeah. Uh, we have Sky Terrell. Uh, Sky is someone that I know from my time at WeWork um, and all around badass, although this is the only time she'll hear me uh, say nice things about her. Sky? Hi, thanks for having me <laughs> and for the compliment. Definitely be writing that down in history. Yeah, uh, delete, delete, delete. delete. <laughs> uh, cool. So, uh, you know, Sky, you know um, a little bit about what we've been doing on the podcast. So to me, it was exciting to get you on because we can get, um, continue to get different perspectives. And uh, one of the things that Dave and I have um, talked about early on was that although we get all these different perspectives, like fundamentally, there's going to be a lot of agreeable topics. Um, But with that said, Tell us a little bit about like how you found yourself uh, in leadership positions. Okay. So I've always played sports um, growing up. I did track, volleyball, golf, soccer, all of that, um, including tennis as well. I played volleyball in college at Purview A&M and just always being um, like a team captain on the different teams I've been on having to make fast-paced decisions in the middle of a game have definitely um, shaped and molded me into being a leader that I am today. And then just my career has, you know, just thrusted me into being a leader probably more than <laughs> I was expecting or wanting to be at different levels of my life. But definitely started off in sports, learning, um, you know, just leading a team basically from there where you can make mistakes where it didn't involve money. So it wasn't as big of a deal to make a mistake, but then now like in the real world, making a mistake can also <laughs> jeopardize a company at this point. Sick. I, I love that you immediately went to sports. Cause I feel like I was like, Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> Small part of my life. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You played in college. That's legit. So what, what did leadership look like then? And what does it look like now from sky? So definitely throughout life, um, you see different leaders throughout your life, throughout parents, um, different coaches and just peers. And you kind of learn from interacting with those different people, how you would want to lead other others and also how you don't want to lead others. So I've had some not so great coaches and I learned from them that I would never speak to other people like this, whether they're older or younger than me or also just my equal peer. Um, And then learning from some other coaches, like, wow, that was really great. I, you know, I love how you treated us and talked to us and also off the court, just keeping a very like family atmosphere and keeping everything like, you know, almost like we're like friends and family. So learning from that and applying that to my life now, how I talk to others and how I lead others, basically. Awesome. Sky, can you talk a little bit about your kind of your experience now with salt, dust, and glitter, and how that's kind of shaped 
you know, kind of jumping away from the corporate world a bit from my understanding and then jumping into kind of your own deal and what that means for you kind of transformationally as a leader? Uh huh. So I started Sawdust and Glitter in 2015. It was originally a do-it-yourself blog. So it wasn't for profit. It was just to show um, whoever was interested on like the things I was building and how I was building it, step-by-step instructions with photos, um, examples. And then I kept getting emails about, can you just make this for me? I don't want to make it. And so <laughs> I changed it after about a year and a half to a um, not for profit, but, you know, a business more so than an actual blog. Um, and then just my career, my nine to five just took over. I kind of put it on the back burner. I let my domain run out and it just was sitting there in limbo for about three years. And then the end of last year, I was like, I really want to take this seriously. I put it on my vision board um, for 2020. I said, I'm going to, you know, pick this back up. I'm going to take it seriously. I'm going to sign up for art shows going to, you know, buy the business cards, work on the marketing, get the website up. I'm going to take this full force for one year. And at the end of the year, I'll reevaluate if I want to continue doing this. And so recently I've had a lot more time to work on it (laughs) over like the past three weeks and business is booming a lot more than what I was expecting. I have currently about 45 custom orders right now. And so trying to prioritize and get those out for like Mother's Day is like one of my biggest um, projects right now is getting items off um, for that. But Solace and Glitter is a custom um, designs and woodwork company that I started. Um, So a lot of times on Pinterest, people see items that they want um, that's like custom for their family members or loved ones, but the links are broken. So I get a lot of screenshots saying, hey, I really would like this. Can you make this for me? My answer is always yes. And then I <laughs> make them, you know, the best possible or even just a variation of it. If it's something that I'm not comfortable doing, I'll suggest something else um, that I know I can achieve that will look, you know, quality, you know, worthy to give someone if they're paying for it. But just a hobby turned into a business over actually like the last three weeks. So I'm having a lot of fun with that. Wow. Congratulations. That sounds uh, awesome. Um, I know you mentioned a vision board. I'm always fascinated by uh, different ways that people can uh, articulate what they want to do and how they motivate themselves, um, especially in leadership positions. And you're, you know, a startup business. Um, can you talk a little bit about your vision board, but also what are their tools that you utilize to make sure that you stay on task or you kind of plan out your goals and map out, you know, what you want to do as a leader? So, you're 90% more likely to achieve something if you have it either written down or in a visual form. Um, So when I did my vision board party this year, I explained the statistics of that and let people know this is more than just making a cute board that you're going to throw in the closet later. This is something you need to have up at least for the first eight months of the year, because you should be able to achieve everything on your board within like the first eight months of the year. Um, and then I actually have a six month check-in with everyone just to see how everyone is doing with those items on their vision board. Um, 2020 obviously is off to a little bit of a rough start. So maybe some people a little bit, not as far as long as they should have been on some items. Um, but just trying to see what we can do for the next um, six months to get back on track. But just having stuff written down for me is very beneficial. Um, I would definitely get off track or forget something if 
if I'm getting all these orders, I'm getting them from Facebook, Instagram, email, and just trying to compile all that in my notebook that as soon as someone asks about something, I write it down. So I don't forget it. I don't want to forget to follow up with someone or send them the invoice and try to keep it professional that way. And they're like, oh, she didn't even email me back or something like that. And then, you know, just trying to stay on top of it because it's a lot right now. Shout out to the mailman for losing my invite to that vision board party. Oh, you know, it was women only. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I'll allow it then. <laughs> um, well, that, I think that's dope that like you even are taking the lead in your friend group in that way. Um, so, you know, one of the things that uh, David and I always talk about is like the, the circle that we keep being very important. And uh, can you tell us about the circle you keep? Yes. So they say that you should never be the smartest person in the room. So I definitely have friends that I would say are learning from me that are younger. And then I also have friends who are older than me that I'm also learning from um, them and just like mentor type status, things like that. So you don't, the people who you're around or how you're going to carry your life and how you um, react to situations in life. So you don't want to be around like too many like negative people. So I would say that my friend group is all, you know, business working men and women. Um, Everyone has like, you know, stable careers. We're like, you know, second careers working on hobbies, working on, you know, health and wellness, fitness, things like that. Everyone's striving to get to that next level. And I only associate with people who are also doing that. Cause we don't want, you know, anyone trying to like bring you down any like negative Nancy's and like, you know, you want your people to support you and you also want to support them. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I, um, I recently have been realizing that there's people who are taking a seat at the table who are taking a seat from someone I think who deserves it more type mentality. Um, so I, I totally agree with that. Um, so Sky, is sawdust and gl- and is sawdust and glitter your full priority right now? It is, yes. Awesome. Um, so let's let's rewind a little bit because uh, when I met you, you were a I think you were a construction manager. Um, not right. even for WeWork yet. You were working for the company that was doing our GC work. Is that right? Yes, correct. So I was working for Rogers O'Brien for about a year and a half build a WeWork and then decided to take a leap of faith and actually just jump over to the owner side um, to have more of a leadership role. Um, I felt like I was going to advance my career in a way that if I stayed where I was at, which it hurt to leave Rogers O'Brien because I really loved everyone I worked with. My mentor actually works there and she still works there. Um, So I hated to leave. It was really hard to tell her that I was leaving, but I just saw an opportunity that I needed to take and I regret nothing at this point. You know, one of the things I always think about is, is you worked in a male dominant space, um, but you were in a leadership role and Rogers O'Brien, I think is on the forefront in some, to some degree of like really women in leadership roles in, mm-hmm. in construction. So I feel like it maybe wasn't as much of a shock, but you still did work with a lot of companies that didn't. So can you talk us through, like what leadership meant to you as a woman in a male dominant space? So right after college, it was a lot. I'm not going to lie. I struggled with 
finding like my voice in the company that I was originally with, which wasn't Rogers O'Brien. Um, I got stuck with a project manager who micromanaged me. He wouldn't let me send my own emails. I had to send him my emails. He proofread them, sent them back to me. Then I was able to send the emails on my behalf. So it was just crazy. HR wasn't helping me. I was just desperate for help. And I was like, someone like, please just hear me. Like I'm, I need help. Like this is not a way to work. Um, and then at that time, my mentor actually worked at the company I was with before Rogers O'Brien and she raised the red flag and she was like, this is not, you know, she has potential. We need to like, you know, shape and groom the employees that we have before we lose them. And she was like, just give me Sky. I want her on my team. And then from there, like just watching her, the way she was on a job site, um, she didn't come in yelling and screaming on the job site to get like respect from the other men on the job site. She came in assertive, um, confident. She spoke calmly and clearly collectively. And when I saw that, I was like, wow, this is who I need to have in my corner at all times. And I'm going to learn from this woman. And her name is Jennifer Gonzalez. Um, I actually speak to her about um, every other week. She's awesome. I love her. And just seeing her in that leadership position, I knew that I'm not stopping till I'm on her like badass level because she is awesome. I love that. Um, and you mentioned you still talk to her about every other week or so. Oh, yes. And can you tell me a little bit, can, if you don't mind, about what those conversations look like? Because I'm curious to, to hear now from your perspective as a small business owner to then being on a you know, construction site. But how, how, how has her mentorship driven sawdust and glitter a bit so definitely asking her questions like is this the right move should I be doing this is this the right time to be doing this should I kind of wait into a later point in time to be doing um you know hold off on working on this type of item um she actually supports sawdust and glitter um she bought a couple items for her house as well um two weeks ago so I was over at her house building a few items for her and just I'm very hard on myself. So when other people compliment my work and they say that they like it, it makes me feel really good inside. Like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm really doing something. And so um, she was just telling me kind of like ways to improve the business, um, you know, get your website up, do this, you know, as far as like marketing, you can reach more audiences by doing this, you know, I'm just giving um, this, you know, insight on that since she has been um, in you know, the workforce longer than me. That's awesome. Is there someone that you can maybe going back to your volleyball days in college or um, even in high school that, you know, a mentor that kind of affected you or. Which I wasn't directly on her team. um, So I played club volleyball for Texas tornadoes and one of the coaches. So for club volleyball, you go to, um, junior olympics but to go to junior olympics you have to qualify in one of the qualifying tournaments um my team that i was on we did not qualify along with other teams and coach erica um together like a hodgepodge team last minute to go to the last qualifier um so i think there's five to six teams per age group so for that age group i was at that year she got random players from each team and put us on a new team and took us to the tournament within about two weeks of practice and we actually qualified. And so just seeing that a new coach with, you know, players who hadn't played together all season and she could put together something and, you know, help us to qualify to go to Junior Olympics. So definitely respect her leadership. She was a great woman. Um, she passed away in like 
2005 from breast cancer, but phenomenal woman. Wow. It's crazy how you look back on, you know, the people that influenced you throughout your life um, about those kind of little moments that you remember, right? It wasn't really about the, the actual volleyball game, but it was more about the circumstances surrounding it. Um, I find that just so interesting that, uh, and that's been kind of a common theme amongst our guests so far is like, it has nothing to do with the sport or the business. It's more the person and the interaction. Mm-hmm. So that, that relationship um, piece is so critical to, to making an impact and having a connection as a leader. I'm here. Sorry. <laughs> uh, my Wi-Fi is rattled this morning. Uh, so guy, the big question for me is, <clears throat> you know, I have my, my wife coaches, coaches uh, young ladies. Um, and one of the things that we started talking about was how many of these uh, young women think of a male when they think of a leadership position? And how is like that just being such a huge opportunity to get, you know, women in leadership um, to be those role models instead of men in leadership to be those role models. Can you share anything from that perspective, um, you know, from when you were growing up or from what you see now as someone who may be a role model to some? Mm -hmm. So definitely my mom, she made me do a lot of like uncomfortable situations, (laughs) pushing me out into like public speaking, um, just making me like, you know, go door to door to sell Girl Scout cookies, things that as a child I was uncomfortable with doing because I was a little shy at that age. Um, so she, I didn't really have a choice, you know, she was like, go do this and I had to go do it. So, um, learning to, you know, be more vocal as a, a child. Um, I was the only child, so I didn't have like, you know, anyone really to fight with. So I didn't have like, you know, I didn't have to like, you know, find my voice there because it was only me, <laughs> but, um, just being, you know, basically thrown into the world by her and was like, figure it out type thing. So that definitely probably started being a leader at that age from there. Is that how you got involved with the rodeo? Um, so I got involved with the rodeo. Um, my mom found a scholarship for me that was about community service. So I was looking for other scholarships because at that point, you know, volleyball, you know, it's not for sure if you're going to be going to college, you know, when you're a sophomore um, on an athletic scholarship. And so I applied for the scholarship and I actually had the most amount of community service hours in the greater Houston area. And so they gave me a scholarship for community service, even though I wasn't in FFA or anything involved with the rodeo. Um, so they paid for half of my school. So I'm grateful for them and all that they've done. And then they also gave me an additional scholarship my junior year that paid for the junior and senior year of college as well. So very involved with them. Um, well, of course, the rodeo this year was canceled, but um, so we didn't have our alumni night, but just staying involved with them on Facebook and what they're going um, through and events they have throughout the year. You're, you're a lifetime member, right, Sky? Yes. God, I fucking hate you. <laughs> I've seen Dave this card she cart carries around. First of all, I think she can kill somebody with it. But it's, it's like, gold plated. <laughs> yeah. That's so ridiculous. <laughs> uh that's awesome. Scott, you know, one of the big things that I always remember is um walking through a job site with you 
and and now that I have the context of of Jennifer being your mentor and in the way that it uh, sounds like she operated, I feel like I can because I I mean you know me I always make fun of you for being like dead faced, but <laughs> I, I feel like I really like that approach of like walking in and like not feeling like you're gonna raise your voice. Um, but I mean, listen, even though you saw Jennifer do it and she had your back and you were in these positions, like, how did you muster up the courage to walk on a job site and tell, you know, a floor full of people, like, uh, stop what you're doing. Cause that's not right. <laughs> well, it definitely comes from, I guess, having pride in your work. Um, so just like an artist has pride in artwork that they put out, they only want to put out their best. For me in construction, my project is my portfolio. So the construction world is very small. So if there's a project that is a project from hell, you know, didn't open on time, you know, stuff, the quality wasn't, you know, up to par, things like that, that gets, you know, circulated around in the construction world. So I would not want that on my resume, my portfolio. And then you wouldn't want some kind of like, oh, you were on that project. So I take very, I have a lot of pride in my work and my portfolio, the projects I'm on. So having that mindset, I have no problem coming on a job site and wrecking havoc if something is not going right, needs to switch, change up right now. Okay, everyone needs to stop. We need to have a little powwow. We need to talk about this and then let's get back to work. But there's a way that you go about doing that without having to raise your voice. So the same way that I'm talking now is the same way that I talk on the job site. There's no need to come in yelling, screaming, because you're not going to get the respect from other people or it's going to make them hostile. They're not going to want to have a, you know, an adult conversation with you because they might start yelling back at that point. Sky, can you give an example of like a situation where, you know, it got a little dicey or it was a difficult project or uh, where you really had to kind of maybe change your approach to how you were addressing? The, the problem on the site or you know um, how you were addressing that individual so I had a project in San Diego that was a really tough project we work out there um, it was a new general contractor and they hadn't worked on a WeWork and so even though at the beginning of the project we always discussed the project schedule which is very aggressive we build these um, build outs in about 16 weeks so explaining that to them and then doing like, you know, two week check-ins with them on site, seeing that, hey, you know, you're kind of behind, you know, you should probably, like, you know, work a couple weekends to catch up and then we'll recess. And then having that GC like, oh, no, it's fine. Like, you know, we have this built into our schedule, two more weeks. It's like, hey, like, no, like you're really behind now. Like, let's talk about adjusting the schedule, weekends, nights, what we need to do. And that contractor just still didn't get that it was going to be really, really bad, like the last two weeks of opening up. But um, so my team and I, we actually were in San Diego for about two and a half weeks trying to help them push. And even though we were physically there for that long, they didn't really understand it, like how bad it was. And about three days before opening, when we spent the night on the job site trying to physically do work because contractors like we're like I've already reached my 60 hours this week I can't come in anymore like this is like it's too much but when our project managers on the GC side saw that like hey like you're still in the same clothes from yesterday and it's like yeah because we have to open on time regardless like whatever it takes so obviously y'all don't 
be here, but we care enough about this project that, yes, we've been here all night and we've been laying carpet tiles, been scrubbing floors, we've been doing whatever we can as far as getting this to look presentable for opening day. And so when they saw that, then they finally were like, oh, like, these people actually care about this project for some reason. Maybe we should, you know, get it together. So they started calling me reinforcements. We're like, all right, guys, you know, I need double shifts, double crews. And it's almost ridiculous that it took it like that much for them to realize like how bad it was. But just if you show up for work and show out, other people also show up and show out basically. Yeah, it's a little bit of that lead by example. I'm not a huge lead by example person because um, you have to impact and you have to have other people involved with that. But certainly that, that that's a testament to your work ethic. And, you know, I think as a leader, that's probably one of the, the, the price of admission almost, so to speak, um, you know, of work ethic and be willing to do the things that maybe, you know, you shouldn't in technically in your role, you shouldn't have to do, but certainly if you prove to your people or the people around you that you're willing to do it, um, I think that goes a long way. And it definitely in this case, you know, the investment that you made rubbed off on them for sure. Mm-hmm. So Sky, not only are you a woman in construction, but you are, uh, I would say, young for the roles you've been in. Would you agree with that? Yes. So I'm not 30 yet, and I probably will never turn 30, but <laughs> <laughs> I work with um, men who are in their you know, mid-40s, some are in their 50s. So it's kind of a shock when... Um, so a lot of my projects, like I worked across the greater like Texas area and then California as well. But um, so when I first meet them, it's like a virtual meet. Um, so it's like on the phone, email, um, every now and then like a Zoom. So they will see like, you know, what I look like on Zoom. Then they're like, oh, okay, she's kind of young. But then like, when I get to the actual job site and meet them in person, they're kind of like, oh, like she's really young. And I'm like, hi, <laughs> <laughs> I'm here. It's nice to meet you finally. <laughs> but I get asked a lot, like, you know, how, like, everyone's like, how is that? Like, you know, kind of like in the little, you know, not like a stab at like me or anyone, but it's like, how is it working being younger, being a minority, being a woman um, in this like male dominated world? But I actually don't have like any problems with it. Like I haven't ran into any problems with that. Let's just say um, people ask like, how do you get them to respect you? Like, do they listen to you? Like, um, are you nervous about talking to them? But I would actually say like being a woman in construction, it's actually like been pretty easy. Um, everyone kind of likes on their P's and Q's when you get on the job site. Um, they put their safety glasses back on, you know, they weren't working safe before you got there, but it's almost like they want to have the respect from you and or they don't want to make you mad. I guess they think we're going to like go off, you know, <laughs> and start yelling at everyone, but everyone has a lot of respect. I think that, probably the main reason which is not something I'm actually like proud to say but they don't want to disrespect you so everyone like they stop cussing you know they're like you know they clean up after themselves at that point which that's fine because then I'm gonna tell you to clean up the job site because it shouldn't look like a pigsty but (laughs) just you like it's almost like you have like a natural respect before you get there but then of course if you get there and mess up then the respect's gone but um I haven't had an issue where I wasn't like respected I guess I'm saying yeah. I think there's like this, um, there's this preconceived, you know, very wrong notion that construction sites are like, you know, people are slinging F-bombs and 
talking shit about women and all this stuff. So uh, to me, it's always like that dynamic of that really radical um, perceptions that people have and what that's like when you mix them together. So, you know, bringing a, a young woman on a job site, like what does that look like? And I would even venture to say um, someone went through something for that to be as smooth as it is for you now. Right. Like there had oh, to be the first woman, right? Yes. There's more and more women in construction now that I'm seeing. Uh, when I first started, it wasn't that many. Or if they were on the construction, like with a company, they were more um, like accountants or um, more like the desk type jobs, but not physically on the job site. But now that I'm walking in job sites, I actually see like more women in like the labor position and not even just the cleaners. It's, um, I see women in drywall, like they're picking up drywall and hanging it. And drywall is really heavy, especially a full sheet of it. Um, I see them as a lot of painters. Um, I've seen a, like a lot recently of electricians that are women and I am not electrical savvy. I can't even get my camera to work on zoom today. So um, <laughs> that is not my expertise. But when I see these women, you know, like knowing if a, um, an outlet's hot, you know, not working with any hot work, making sure everything's killed before they start, you know, cutting wires. And like, I'm just amazed at like where we are as women now in the construction world and like taking over and, and now when I walk in the job site, I see about maybe five women on the job site. It used to be zero. So like I like seeing that and I like waving to them. Yeah, like I, I have awareness that it is not the norm. But, you know, my experience was like you were, even when I met you the first time, you were on the Rogers O'Brien side as the construction manager for the site. Mm-hmm. And then on our side, we had um, – a woman who was the architect and we had a woman who was the, the construction manager on our side. Yes. And I still remember walking on the job site and seeing two women on stilts doing drywall, like on the, on the ceiling. Uh-huh. Um, so to me, like I've, I've also seen it a ton, but I still have awareness that it's not the, the norm still. Yes. So definitely at WeWork, that was the largest, um, so we're based in like teams. So we were on the Texas team and that's the most women I've worked with on a direct team in my entire um, like career so far. And so their interior designer, the architect, our um, senior project manager, um, our MEP lead as well was a woman. Um, of course, people change positions and teams throughout like the time that I was there. But I think at the time when I first started, I think there was, I worked with seven women on one team. And so that was like amazing to me. And so it was funny to have like the guys tag along with us. Cause basically they were hanging out with us at that point. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, David, I want to kick it to you. I know you have something. Yeah. I, you mentioned, um, you know, at that, that job site in San Diego sky, I think uh, my question for you is how much of your job, especially being, you know, a younger female on the job, how much of your job was the technical side as opposed to the managing side? Um, did you feel like you went in knowing the technical side and therefore you could focus on the managerial side or kind of, did they come hand in hand? What was your experience with that, especially in your leadership roles at GC? So before working at WeWork, I worked in, um, for two other general contractors and a few other internships. So I had four and a half years of construction knowledge, um, under my belt at that point, um, from, Multifamily, so like um, apartments, student housing, things like that. Also a little bit of healthcare. 
um, so a little bit more full on commercial projects. So going over to WeWork, which is um, tenant improvement um, renovation projects, it was mostly just interiors, a little bit of mechanical, electrical plumbing, like upgrades, things like that, as far as the um, mechanical systems of cooling the building with that many people in it. So I had the knowledge. So I was able to actually just manage, which made it a lot easier because I didn't ever feel like I was behind and having to keep up. It was more so just keeping up with the schedule and just doing check-ins like, hey, where are we at? Are you going to be able to meet this milestone? Let me know if you're not. Let's talk about how we're going to meet it because we are going to meet it regardless. So let's talk about it um, next week on the meeting. And just, um, I never felt behind. So it was very fast paced, but having the knowledge already of those more advanced projects to then go to just a simple build out of an interior made it a lot easier rather than having simple projects first and then trying to go build an entire hospital. Um, on the back end. Did you ever feel like you were like tested in some way by, by someone on the job site of like, do you know what you're talking about? I feel like as a leader, sometimes, uh, you know, especially as a young leader, you're, 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 you constantly have to prove yourself in some regard to people. Uh, was there ever a time where you kind of had to like, I don't know, puff out your chest in some regard to kind of prove that, that you belong, so to speak? Um, I wouldn't say like puff out my chest, but there were times where um, somebody would be over explaining something because they just, they didn't want to assume, but they didn't want to like also over assume that I knew what they were talking about. So they would just explain it like kind of like, you know, layman's term. And I'm like, we can just skip this part because I already, I understand this. Let's just get to how we're going to fix it. (laughs) (laughs) Did you actually say we could just skip this part? Because I'm dying. Well, I don't want to waste anyone's time. Like, you don't have to explain it to me. I I got it. <laughs> the, the strong mansplain. Nice. Well, I wasn't, I wasn't used to that where I thought about using it, but basically <laughs> mansplaining, yes. <laughs> That's all right. We're, we're open to a mansplain. <laughs> yeah, I think the dynamic, especially, you know, I work with Ronnie's wife very closely and seeing the perspective that she has, not to say we we, we have the same end goal, which is to make the kids better and to, uh, you know, uh, develop them and win games at the same time. But I think our perspectives are just different. And I think first and foremost, it's probably male, female. And I think for me, it's been really nice to have her kind of side by side um, for giving me a different perspective. Can you speak to like, ha- have you found that males kind of, gravitate towards you in the contracting and construction world to try to get your perspective of maybe how you see things differently? Um, I haven't experienced that. Um, I feel like it's been very neutral. Um, as far as like the guys I do work with on like my direct team, there wasn't times where I felt like either one of us got approached more or like respected more. It was very like equal. I was on site the most of everyone on my team being the construction manager role. So on like the opening week, people would ask me things that were more like logistics wise that would be like, okay, you know, I could answer this, but I don't want to step on anyone's toes. Like this is so-and-so's role as far as logistics, getting furniture in, where should we move this type of stuff? So it's not in the way. Um, but just sharing the responsibility with everyone on my team. Um, we are a team. And then the way like the pyramid worked as far as um, who was over who we were all on the same playing field. So we didn't report to each other. We were all just like teammates at that point. So 
never stepping anyone's toes and just sharing responsibility and helping out when needed. You know, Sky, the one, um, like, I don't want to say power dynamic, but the, the real point that I think is something that I, um, I'm excited to talk about is as the construction manager, you were really the point of contact for the GC. Like you were, you were their main point of contact on site. And a lot of times um, you had to influence the GC because you couldn't go tell the subcontractors what to do necessarily. Although I think, I think we got to the point where we could, and that was nice, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But for the most part, you had to influence the GC to be able to go get what we need out of those people. Yes. Um, and, and when you think of like leadership, the, it's not easy to get an outcome from a team that doesn't follow you. Right. So mm-hmm. how, like what were some of the principles you used to get the outcomes that you wanted out of somebody else's team who wasn't, you know, reporting to you necessarily? So as far as the subcontractors? Yeah, exactly. Like you had to, you know, what we had Rogers O'Brien on site, like you had to talk to them to try to get Mm -hmm. the outcomes we wanted out of their subs versus going directly to the subs, right? Um, Not necessarily. So when I start on a project, I ask the general contractor for a project directory. I don't tell them what it's for, but I just keep it in my back pocket just in case I need it. And on that project directory, it has the foreman's contact information who's on site every day. It has their project manager's contact information. And then also like the project executive's contact information. So I don't use it unless it's like dire, dire. And I've asked a couple of times from the GC, like, hey, you know, need more electricians on site. Like y'all look a little behind. It's been a week or so. Then, you know, I just go ahead and make a phone call directly. Because at this point, the communication has been lost somewhere. So I'll just go direct to the source and get what I need. Um, It hasn't been an issue so far um, as far as like, again, stepping on toes. It's just the GC has to manage all the subs at once. So sometimes they let something slip because all of a sudden the painters are doing something, painting a room that's not ready to be painted and they forget to make that call to um, whatever the other sub is to get something done. So just, I feel like that's also kind of helping out just, you know, we all have to work as a team to get this done. So like I can make the phone call. I'm not shy to call anyone or do anything like that. Yeah. You know, you know something that I've reckoned, there's two things that I've recognized over our chat so far is that, um, number one, the idea of stepping on toes. Um, this is something that's come up now two weeks in a row for us. Um, where does where does the stepping on toes feeling come from? And where does the, I, I don't want to say fear, but like, why are we trying to avoid stepping on toes so much, do you think? It's just, you know, a form of respect, I think. Um, you don't want to, it's almost like being a ball hog in like a sport, like, you know, you have to use your teammates and like leverage on them and, you know, pass them the ball sometimes, you know, if they're open or, you know, don't try to be the star every time, but just having respect. Cause if you have respect from others, they'll be more willing to work with you efficiently than if you're always, you know, on top of them and, you know, doing, you know, their role or their job, then they're going to be like, well, what am I even here for? Like you might as well just be the star of the team at this point. Yeah. So it's kind of just that, um, I guess it sounds like it's like the understanding that you need the people around you. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, how did you get that awareness so quickly that like, uh, A, not only just that you need the people around you, but B, that, you know, it is helpful to have all those people's buy-in. Um, I don't want to go back to sports again, but 
just seeing that, you know, it takes more than one person, you know, to get to the end goal. And so you have to work with each other. Um, you know, volleyball is a team of six. You can't, in volleyball, you can't pass the ball to yourself and hit the ball back over the net. You have to pass it to someone else or then pass it back to you or pass it to another person. So you can't like bump set spike on your, on your own, you know, if it was one against one, you wouldn't be able to do that. So um, even in doubles, you know, the teamwork that I see between those two um, players on the sand courts, you know, they're constantly communicating um, back and forth, like short, 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 back, 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 out, you know, in, I got it, you go, like things like that. And just seeing like that teamwork in a very fast paced situation, um, just, you know, you have to leverage on each other basically at that point. Do you still think back to your days on the court um, that make you a better communicator or a better teammate today? Yes. So definitely in high school, um, my sophomore year, I ended up on varsity and super scary. Um, all of a sudden the team captain and like people who are like juniors and seniors. And I'm like, this is, you know, <laughs> are they going to respect me? You know, I'm younger than them at this point, but you know, got over that fear. And then, you know, definitely now being younger and, um, working with people who are older than me, like I don't have that fear anymore of like, are they going to respect me? It's just, you know, we're adults. Let's all respect each other and, you know, let's get to this end goal. Sky, do you, do you see yourself jumping back into that uh, construction world anytime soon? Oh, yeah, most definitely. Sawdust and glitter is fun. Um, more of a hobby than, like, a full-time business. Um, it's just something I'm working on right now during, like, quarantine to um, shape and mold into, like, the small business that I want it to be. But, yeah, I definitely need to be back on, like, in the nitty-gritty of a job site, um, I just love the fast pace um, and the never like, you know, never ending problem solving on the job site. So I'll definitely be back um, before 2021. Nice. Do you feel like you've gotten an opportunity to kind of reflect on that a bit now being out of it a little bit? And and what do you miss about that? Just that fast pace? I know you mentioned that, but what else do you miss in that, in that regard? Um, I'm missing like the progress photos um, from like month one to month two, seeing how, it almost seemed impossible to get to that finish line at a certain stage. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, how are we going to finish this? This looks horrible. We're behind schedule. And then, you know, everyone works super hard for two weeks and you're like, Oh, okay. You know, the end is near, like, this is going to, you know, it's going to work out. It's going to turn out. So um, I do miss mostly I guess like the fast paceness of it. Um, and just seeing everything come together at the end. It's gotta be rewarding when you see all that work come together and you see people enjoying the space or yes. using it for what it was what mm-hmm. was built for has gotta be uh a lot of satisfaction. Yes. Yo, Sky, one of the uh so that you know, that was kind of part one of what I was thinking. And then part two was now that you're in this position, like the next place you go to you now are going to have that experience and you'll have the opportunity to start to mentor people. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, what is like, what are you going to look like as a mentor and how does that different differ from what you look like as a mentee or someone who um, was still finding their footing in the space? Um, so I've actually had um, a friend reach out to me about mentoring her friend's daughter who's interested in, the architecture world more than construction, but just being on that like design um, role and things like that, um, that got postponed because of Corona, of course, and um, social distancing. But um, I was actually 
thinking about reaching back out to um, the mother and asking if her daughter wanted to help me with sawdust and glitter, um, just kind of show her that design world, um, since that would be separate from the actual construction world, and just show her some of the projects I'm working on, um, like my marketing techniques as well, because it's more than just you know, making art at that point, because you'd also have to like, you know, have the business mindset and just kind of showing her like the full like world and realm of like how I'm thinking of it and kind of just things that worked and didn't work for me and just, you know, and let her, you know, help some, help me on some projects and like, Hey, would you like to try to, you know, paint this or make this and just see how like, you know, she likes it, you know, because as kids, you think you want to do something and then like you get older and then you realize your interests change. It's not really something I want to do. Um, and I thank my mom for every single time as a kid, I had a crazy idea. I wanted to do something. She let me do it. And then I realized like, wow, I don't like this all actually. So <laughs> I think it's important to let your kids try things to see if it actually is something that they like or don't like. Because I mean, when I was six, I thought I was going to be an ice cream truck driver. And so that didn't work out, obviously, because <laughs> here I am. <laughs> but, you know, my mom let me set a little shop outside the house. You know, she made me a little stand. So she fully, you know, supported all my wild ideas <laughs> and let me, you know, just give it a shot. Is is that the type of leader or mentor that you see yourself becoming? Like, just ultra supportive and, and letting people fail, even if even if you may know what the outcome is, right? Oh yeah, most definitely. Especially um, children growing up and like learning, um, I wouldn't say common sense, but like as adults, like you see like, okay, like that's not gonna work, but all right. So you let them do it anyways, because they have to learn that, you know, on their own because you telling them that, like they're not gonna listen. So when they see it physically for themselves with their own eyes, then they'll like, you know, like, oh, okay. You know, she knew she was talking about Um, that's awesome. So, uh, Sky, I think we, we can start to wrap it up here. I, um, I, I, one of the things that we, we try to do every time is to hear, um, what's like one really influential person in your, in your leadership style or the way you view leadership. And I know we talked a little bit about Jennifer, but I feel like, uh, a few times you've mentioned your mother. So could you share with us? Um, like how maybe she's shaped you as a, as a leading thinker or as a leader? Yes. So my mom is very, um, she's very hardworking. I would say, um, she never had just one job. So her main job, she's a teacher, um, spotlight teacher of the year for Sci-Fair ISD. I think it was like 2011. Um, she also tutors, um, after school almost every single day. Um, I think, and reading and math are her two subjects that she specializes in. Um, but just seeing the respect um, from her students um, that they have for her. So I can't remember a time like growing up that we went to the store and we didn't run into at least five people that she knew. And I'm so annoyed every single time. I'm like, oh, we're going to be in the store forever. <laughs> it takes so long. And just seeing like how excited her old students were to see her, even if she didn't like remember them <laughs> at that point, but just seeing like, Mr. L, oh my gosh, like it's been so long. And just seeing the impact that she had on like, of course I know the impact she had in my life, but seeing the impact that she had on other people's lives and seeing like, they're so excited to tell her about like their new job and how like she, you know, inspired them to do something. And I was like, wow, I want to inspire other people to do things and be motivated to do things as well. So 
just having that hard work mentality. She worked like three, four jobs just because she just want, not that she wanted to, but she just always, she doesn't know how to like be still. And I feel like that's how I operate now. Like during this quarantine time, I could be like sleeping every day, which is kind of like what I'd rather be doing, but trying to mold sawdust and glitter and you know, small business. But um, I definitely learned all that from my mom, seeing her leadership style and just seeing how she's impacted those around her. And I want to have that same impact. Fire. Um, all right. Well, you know, the last question that I have um, is if you can give us uh, like one like leadership book or podcast or something that um, has influenced you or that you would recommend. Definitely. Um, there's this book called Lean In um, by Cheryl Sandberg. Um, and the book is about women and leading in the workforce. Um, and she talks about the difference. So it's not like a sexist book, but she talks about the difference between men and women and how we operate and leading in the workforce. Um, and she talks about how women are more, not necessarily timid, but we don't go for a promotion or go for a job position until we feel like we meet all of the items that's listed like on the job description. So we don't, this is just like a blanket statement, not that every woman's like this, but we don't apply for that job or like talk to our manager about position or being promoted until we feel like we can do all those, you know, items that's listed. Whereas men, they think more like, oh, I'll figure it out later. You know, I'm just going to apply and see what happens type thing. And she talks about how women need to have that mindset as well. Like, you know, if men can do it, then we can also do it. Not do it better, but just do it as well. Um, you know, just go for it. You never know what's going to happen. Um, so she gives different, like, scenarios about um, public speaking events that she went to and the questions, like, the men asked versus the question that the women asked. And just kind of the difference between that. And then she, at the end of the book, she wraps it together and gives, like, tidbits on how to improve your leadership in the workforce as a woman. That's awesome. All right, Sky. This is awesome. Dave, uh, if you have any last uh, questions or comments or anything. No, I just appreciate it, Sky. Thanks so much. It's so interesting to hear about your story. And uh, you sound like just uh, uh, going to do great things in your career. So we appreciate you spending some time with us this morning. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. And this officially wraps up uh, the last nice thing I'll say about Sky a lot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. This is episode three with Sky Fire.